Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. When things break down or don't go as planned, we can find ourselves struggling to survive. Finding the resilience to keep moving forward can be a daily challenge. Today's guest, Mark Nepo, joins us to talk about how we can meet adversity by using the timeless teachings of the heart. Mark is a poet and philosopher and a number one New York Times bestselling author. He has appeared several times on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday, and he was named one of the 100 most spiritually influential living people by Watkins Mind, Body, Spirit. He was also chosen as one of own Super Soul 100. Mark's new book is Surviving Storms, Finding the Strength to Meet Adversity. Welcome, Mark. It is so wonderful having you back on the show. Thank you for joining us. Oh, for sure. It's great to be back with you. Thank you for having me. So, Mark, this book that you've written about adversity, it it really couldn't have come at a better time. And you wrote in the opening of your book, we live in a turbulent time. And like every generation before us, we must learn the art of surviving storms so we can endure and build a better world. From your perspective, what do you think we must endure as a society? Well, I think with every society, and I think that's what one of the things I learned by looking into all this. And of course, I, I started this book before the pandemic and then fell into, oh, my goodness, look what this is about. <laughs> and But I, I think that every generation and every life and every family and has its turn. Are we going to choose love over fear? Are we going to choose working together over self-interest? And there's, you know, in my parents' generation, the challenge was World War II. You know, for us right now, it was the pan- is was and is the pandemic. And so the details are different, but history isn't a climb up a mountain. We're, we're all the same distance from heaven and the gutter. And, and how are we going to help each other? How are we going to love each other forward? So I, I think that we're, we're challenged here. And I think that the pandemic, which was was and continues to be so challenging, made humanity stop. You know, in the in the Jewish tradition, the word Sabbath means the one day we don't turn one thing into another. And I feel like the pandemic forced humanity into a global Sabbath. There's nowhere to go. You can't dream, scheme, escape, run, build. We just had, we're kind of forced to be with the truth and miracle of what is. I think it caused a lot of people, Mark, to reflect on the way they had been living their lives. And you had just mentioned World War II and, and our parents' generation. Do you think it was a little bit different for us, speaking about fear, because of the way we received communication? Back then, it was very limited in the information that you received. We were bombarded with it daily in every direction, from every medium. Do you think that played into the, the way we were feeling and, and why we're struggling so much? I, I do. I think that, you know, one of the, the gifts of technology is, and, and, you know, for me, the example goes all the way back to 9-11. You know, my wife Susan and I were happened to be traveling in Montreal at the time, 
and literally were packing to go home in a hotel when we saw live on TV the planes go into the towers. And of course, with modern technology, that image has been played thousands of times. And, you know, that's wonderful for a thousand different people to see at once. It's not healthy for you or me to see it a thousand times. So one of the things that we have to do to compensate for the inundation of progress is we need to develop all of us spiritual aerobic where we, you know, where I watch, I need to see it once, whatever it is, where it touches my heart. And then I have to internalize it. Then I have to go to you as a friend and be in conversation about it. But we need to resist being desensitized and hypnotized by seeing these things over and over and over again. So that's one thing. And, and of course, the, the insulated, individualized bubble that everyone finds themselves in with social media today, it all removes us from being, and, and I think this is every generation, but it's particularly acute in ours, we've been removed from our direct connection to life. If you and I have a direct connection to life, we have a reverence for life. And if you have a reverence for life, you can't do harm. One of the things that so stunned me and so many others in the January 6th now famous insurrection, and I happen to see that like so many people live on TV, is forget the politics of it. I was watching people be barbarically violent while taking pictures of themselves. They were totally dissociated. Like, is this a video game or is this reality? So how do we, and all the spiritual traditions offer us ways to restore our direct connection of life so we can refine our reverence of life and not do harm. And you know, Mark, what people don't realize, I recently interviewed an expert who studies the science of hate. And one of the interesting things he told mm. me was that social media, you know, the algorithms are designed for the negative because that's what makes money. That's what sells. And we need to be aware of that. Like you're saying, there's something that's rising in people that we need to become aware of so that we can heal from it. Absolutely. And I think also, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning of the book, I was just trying in that beginning to take my guess at how we, how did we get here? And, and some of these fault lines go back hundreds of years. But, you know, this whole, in the last 70 years, the reality TV culture, which is based on anything other than what's real, mm -hmm. really kind of also divorces us from what's real. You know, we say, and I'm not picking on any particular shows, but they induce us into being voyeurs and they make us think, and I don't think it's intentional, but they make us think that we're in relationship. You know, I can even vote, you know, but then when I turn the TV off, I don't have a relationship for expending all that energy. I'm mm -hmm. still alone. And so, you know, in, in Roman times, I use this, this image in the book, you know, the Roman Colosseum, which was designed deliberately to dissipate rebellious energy of the masses. They said, let's give them entertainment. Let's watch them. Lions kill people and gladiators hurt each other. And then when they went home, the ordinary people didn't have any energy left to demand a better life. Now, I don't think today that this was designed, but inadvertently, uh, reality TV, social media, these are our virtual coliseum today. It dissipates our energy for true relationship and true connection. Because when you're in conversation with someone and you're speaking face to face, you can see the look in someone's eyes. You can see their facial expressions if you said something hurtful. But when you're behind that screen and you're on a phone or a computer, you can write the meanest thing and hit send and just walk away and not have any connection with that person. And I think that we really need to start 
to pull back from that. One of the things I started doing, if someone sends me a text, rather than quickly text back, I'll call that person and respond just because I want to hear their voice. Well, I think that one of the things that's so important is having the time to reflect before responding. And this is something that the modern, the quickness, the speed of our age has taken away from us. Like you're saying, people respond and we react instantaneously without first seeing, what does this mean? How do we feel? You know, I, I stumbled on this amazing thing that, you know, you, for example, you go back when Lincoln was elected the second time and he gave his inaugural address, which was handwritten. And that was a very short one, though it's very, very well known. It was copied, handwritten, several copies. And the way it was shared is it was sent out by Pony Express across the country. So if you live in California, two weeks later after he gave the speech, you read it. So there was built, so even whatever reaction you had, there was built in reflection time. And again, this is something that now, you know, we have to compensate, you know, physically, right? Because of progress, which I don't want to give it up, you know, we don't have to cut wood. We have electricity. We, you know, so now we physically have to do physical aerobics. We have to do yoga or jog or walk or go to the gym to make up for the loss of physical activity. Well, we're being asked now to do emotional and spiritual aerobics. What practices compensate for the loss that comes? There's good things, obviously, about technology. But there's a cost to us in our basic human nature. Mark, you say that when things break down, there are three questions we should ask ourselves. What are these three questions and why are they such a key to being resilient? Well, I think that and, and what I stumbled on was the three questions are when something breaks down, either in society, in a family or inside oneself. But, you know, the questions are what needs to be repaired? what needs to be reimagined now that it's broken. And finally, now that something's broken, what needs to be left dismantled? Like what maybe shouldn't have been put together in the first place? Societally, we can look at you know, structural racism, you know, kind of the original sin of democracy. Um, what That should have never been put together in the first place. So how do we not? put it back together when we see things are broken. But I find that these questions have been very helpful to me, even personally. How, how do we move forward? And so I invite anyone who's listening to us, you know, what in your own life, what needs to be repaired? What needs to be reimagined? And what needs, now that it's finally broken, to be left alone? What patterns did you grow up with that uh, thank God they're finally broken. Mark, do you think the last question is where most people get stuck because we have a difficult time letting go of something that's familiar? Oh, absolutely. And and this is not just in our time. You know, let me quickly share a story that goes all the way back to the life of Buddha that really speaks about this. And um, Buddha was, he, he walked everywhere and there wasn't CNN, so it wasn't covered a lot. <laughs> and he... Um, but he was going to a village, and he, he, he crawled, there came a big river, and it was too deep and swift to wade across or swim. So he took a day, and he built a raft out of reeds and branches. And sure enough, it held him. So he crossed the river, and then he, put, he carried the raft on his back for a while. And after a couple of hours, he realized he didn't smell water anymore, and there was no more rivers to cross. So he said, wait a minute. Why am I carrying this raft on my back if there's no more rivers to cross? And this is the beauty of, of Buddha and the Buddha story is he didn't just discard it. He spent the night, he built a fire, and he did a ritual where he thanked the raft and he burned it. And he said, I'd rather burn you in reverence than carry you on my back in resentment. And what, the, yeah, what this brings us to is the word sacrifice, and we've seen a lot of sacrifice through the pandemic, especially the, the courage and care of healthcare workers. 
But that word comes from a deeper soil. The original definition of sacrifice means to give up what no longer works in order to stay close to what is sacred. So that's where that third question for all of us is, what's no longer working for you? And how, and, and we, we, we're, it's dear to us. It has helped us. But now because we've grown, because things have changed, we need to put it down so we can stay close to what it means to be alive and, and develop new practices and new things to work with. Mark, there's something else that you write about, and it's called maturing compassion. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean that, um, you know, one of the ways that, that we apprentice in compassion, and it never ends, is that by what we have in common with other people, you know, like we meet and I discover after a while, you know, my heart's been broken at one time and, and while we're friends, your heart gets broken. So now we have something in common and my heart goes out to you. Or, you know, I, I see you and you, you tweak your back and, oh, I know what that's like, so I reach out to you. But I've learned over time that that's an apprenticeship, that the maturing of compassion, in addition to that, is how does my heart go out to people and experiences that I have nothing in common with? And the first time that I really experienced this was years ago. I was going, to, I was in a restaurant bar with friends and family, and I, I, and I went back to the bar to get more drinks for people we were with, and there was a, a vet in a booth, and he was by himself, and he was really agitated, and it turned out that he was a vet from Iraq, and I, I wound up in conversation with him, and before I knew it, we were sitting there, and I said to him, you know, gee, I... I have no idea what you've been through. And he slammed his fist on the table and said, you have no idea. You can't know. And I said, and I took his hand and I said, you're right, but I'm here. And that was the first time in real time where I found myself listening to, to the pain and suffering of someone that I had no experience of what he went through. And yet still, I felt like all the ways that my heart had open to other people was an apprenticeship so I could also be open to people that are totally different than me and their experience is different. Does being compassionate require selflessness? Can you set boundaries and still show compassion? And and here's an example of this. I, I know someone who has a friend who hasn't been particularly kind to her, but now this friend is going through some difficult times. And my friend feel sorry for her. She prays for her. She doesn't wish anything bad to happen to her. But because she's not being there for her 24 hours a day, she's feeling guilty about that. So can you show compassion and still set boundaries for yourself? Uh, Absolutely. And I think this is also part of the maturing of compassion is compassion doesn't mean to me uh, giving up being selfless, it means that I will give my heart and demand more authenticity from both of us. So I can be compassionate to that person, but I need to go in and say, look, I'm here for you, but you got to show up too. Mm-hmm. And if you can't do that, then maybe this isn't going to work, but it can't be the way it was before. Right. Because every time we go through something, it demands each party to be involved. And, and another way that I think it's important is, you know, like I have a friend who is uh, suffers from depression and I'm there for that person. Now we all have our stuff. For me, it's, I'm not depressed. I have other stuff, mm-hmm. but, but I, in order to be there for that person, I need to always reaffirm my own direct connection with life. Like I, one of the things we all struggle with is when we're sensitive we, we tend to become the suffering of those we love. And how do we, and it's hard, but what the practice I have found is, how do I stay open but not lose myself? So what I do every time I'm with that person, afterwards, I take a walk out in the light. And I, re- and I remind myself, thankfully, I'm not depressed. And the light on my face 
this is my direct experience of life. And then I, it's kind of like uh, recharging myself or plugging in your phone at night. Mm-hmm. Then I have more energy to be myself and go back and be with others. So I think we're, we're challenged to have what I call porous boundaries where, where, you know, often we either find we give ourselves away and we go, whoa, ah, that's too much. And then we go the other way and we build a wall and say, well, I'm not doing that again. And I think we're all challenged to love and not lose ourselves. And I think that's really an important point, Mark, because most of us fall into this category because we think that if we're not giving ourselves to another person completely and ending up losing ourselves in that process, that we're being a bad person. In fact, I think it's, you know, it's also, this is a third point in this very important, you know, topic we're exploring is we, I think we have to be honest about our limitations. You know, we have a myth in our culture that if whether we're romantic or family or friends, that if, you know, if I love you, then I'm going to, you know, I will be there and be able to give everything you ever need. Well, I'd like to do that, but I'm human and I can't do that. And so more realistically and healthfully, like just imagine if you were not, this is a good example to just concretize it. If you and I were carrying an old refrigerator out, out of the house, I, and you say, have you got your end? And I go, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. Well, I've got to be honest with you, because if I can't carry that end, I could hurt you mm-hmm. by dropping it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, emotionally, it's important to say, I want to be here for you, but I can't right now. Is there a friend you can call? Like, we're, we need to help each other. It's more than just, you know, like that old saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it takes a village to get through life. And, and that means being honest with each other about what we can and can't. It doesn't mean I don't love you, but if I really love you and I can't carry that part of whatever it is, then maybe I help you find someone else who can do it until I'm strong enough to pick it up again. The book is Surviving Storms, Finding the Strength to Meet Adversity. If you'd like to get more information about Mark and his work, you can visit marknepo.com. Mark, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? Well, the takeaway is, for me, is not takeaway, but give. Give, give, give. You know, when I think when my mind reaches a stalemate or I get confused, I found if I give, my mind clears and I find a way through. So a small one stanza poem I can leave, leave with our listeners is, The mystery is that whoever shows up when we dare to give has exactly what we need hidden in their trouble. Mark, thank you so much for joining us, and I look forward to the next time you'll come back on the show. Oh, me too. Thanks so much, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Contrary to the old adage, not all publicity is good publicity. Some can cause more harm than good. 
Hi, this is Joan Herman. As a public relations specialist, producer, and radio host who has conducted thousands of interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating with listeners staying tuned in or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, tips to be a successful sought-after radio and podcast guest, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit my website, joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a board-certified professional and executive coach, speaker, workshop leader, and reinvention expert. She's the founder of Linda Mitchell Coaching and Healing. Linda is here today to discuss the three P's of internal stress. Welcome, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me back, Joan. It's always so great to be here. Linda, we are all so stressed out and anxious. What happens in the body when we don't address our emotions? Well, when we don't address our emotions, what happens is all of the unresolved emotions and issues land in our tissues, right? We just become this ball of stress and anxiety. I hear you say that all the time, and it is probably one of my most favorite sayings that your issues land in your tissues because it is so descriptive of what occurs in our bodies. It is. It truly is. So you speak about the three P's of internal stress. What are the three P's? So I think the three P's that create internal stress, and and let me just start by saying what I mean by internal stress. So external stress is all the stuff, like the stuff we see on the news, the stuff that's happening that's distressing us. Maybe we have a difficult work environment with a narcissistic boss. That's all external stress. But internal stress is usually created very unintentionally, but it's the stress we create ourselves by our thoughts, our beliefs, our old patterns and actions. And those three P's of internal stress are perfecting, pleasing, and proving. And what I mean by that is we try to do everything perfectly. Why? So we won't be judged. We try to please everyone. Why? So they'll like us. And we try to prove our worth and value constantly by working hard and often by overgiving. And what happens? These three P's all boil down to what I call one really big soul-sucking belief. I'm not good enough. That's where we land with all of this. And without fail, that's the belief that keeps us in a constant state of stress and struggle within our bodies and within our minds. And the thing about the three P's, those are things that we can control while the external things may be outside of our control. We can always control the internal stress factors. Exactly. Yep. And we can do that. Well, first step is awareness, right? We have to be aware that this is going on. And then sometimes it takes an inner shift, maybe a change in perspective, maybe a a fresh look at boundaries. But it's also really, really helpful to learn some tools, some techniques to learn to manage your anxiety and stress so you can get out of the three Ps, right? That's key. So one of the most enjoyable classes, that's probably the most, one of the most popular too, is, is called EMAS. I teach this and it stands for Excelling in Managing Anxiety and Stress. And there's so many different techniques. I know I can be an information fire hose and I don't want to be that, but if we just get down to one or two really simple ones, the first one I teach is foundational but it's, I guess, often overlooked and underappreciated because of its simplicity, right? It's the power of the breath. There's no equipment necessary. You bring it with you wherever you go, and you just have the ability to stop, maybe take three deep cleansing breaths, focus on the breath entering the body, feel how it enters cool, you know, how your chest and belly expand as you inhale, then feel it leaving the body. Sometimes I tell people 
let it leave with an audible sigh, you know, like, ah, you know, as you're focusing on the breath, what are you not focusing on? You're not focusing on those anxious thoughts. You're interrupting the cycle of stress and anxiety. And that right there will help you get out of those three P's. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Linda and her work, you can visit lindamitchellcoachingandhealing.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. Linda, thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Joan. We'll be right back. She wants to be home with her friends. But at this moment, she's fighting a brain tumor. Please take a moment and join St. Jude in finding cures and saving children. with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Joining us today to talk about post-pandemic stress is Allison Carmen, a business consultant and life coach. Allison is the host of the podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, and author of The Gift of Maybe and A Year Without Men. Welcome, Allison. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me today, Joan. Allison, the past few years have been extremely difficult for many people. What do you believe has happened to us emotionally? Well, it's interesting, like the name of the segment today, I think a lot of us have this post-pandemic stress. A lot of people walk around and they say, well, life, um, I want life to go back the way it was before. The world feels so chaotic. My job feels so stressful. I can't operate the same way. Um, I wish there wasn't inflation. And what happens is that anytime we are resistant to the moment and we start longing too much, for the past the way it used to be, we're not in the present and then we're, we're in a stressful mode because stress comes from resisting things as they are. And what also happens is that a lot of people, not only are they yearning for what used to be because life feels different today, they're afraid that things can only get worse in the future. So this post-pandemic stress is causing longing for the past and fear of what will be. And it's creating a very stressful place. And when we're not in the moment and we're not open to the life in front of us, it's very hard to manage and move forward. It's like a compounded stress because any one of the things that we worry about would be giving us aggravation and and keeping us in overwhelm, but we're being hit with so many different things. It's financial, it's medical, it's kids' education. It just feels like it keeps coming at us. Yes. And then if we're not, if we keep saying, I, I wish it wasn't like this anymore, right? That's the stress itself, that longing. And then again, coming to this moment and being so over, overwhelmed by what's happening and believing it can never get better. So, right, all of this happening at once, if we're not fully present and we're not open to the moment and we don't see that life always changes and uncertainty is our best friend because if we want our life to change, it has to happen in the unknown. So the only way to manage this moment is to accept this is what life is in the moment. And remember, just because you accept what is doesn't mean you're not going to feel like yesterday was better because life in the moment doesn't offer us that. What life does, it offers us what is happening in the moment. What's the best I can make of now? And when we come to that moment and we're so present, we will give our best to create a better future. And again, this idea that uncertainty is where your life changes. That's another thing. We're always worried that if we don't like today, tomorrow can't get better. And it's like this aspect of despair. And when we see that the opposite is really true, that in the moment is where we create tomorrow. And because we don't know the future, that means there's always hope that it can be different and it can change. So as we let go of the past and we say, okay, I accept what is, and we stay very present, And we look at the future with hope regardless of the negative because there's positive too. When we could do both things, the present will offer us so much more. And what also happens if we're so busy fantasizing about the past and being afraid of the future, we can't even see the good in front of us. Nothing will ever be good enough. So we also, through that presence and through that gratitude, we could also create and see all the beautiful things that are happening in the moment and create a platform 
to stand on to create better things in the future. Well, that's what happens, Allison. It's that acceptance that gives us the peace. We get a break for a moment where we can have the clarity to see all of the different things that we're missing when we're in that constant state of stress. Absolutely. But we have to really watch where our mind goes. But for some reason, we allow ourselves to always go back. We think there's like an opening. If we keep thinking about the past, we can bring it forward. And so it's really important that we create, like for me, sometimes I'll look and I'll be like, well, trying to get back to the past is like trying to get behind a wall or it's like trying to stop the rain. It's, it's an impossible thing. And so when you kind of have to really train your mind to not look back and then say, okay, what's here for me now? What can I do? What is life offering me? What can I learn? Who can I help? How can I serve? And so with the present, we kind of move away from the past and then we can be more accepting and then we can see all the gorgeous things that are happening to us in the moment and the things we're not happy about. We can look forward and say, wait a second, because the future is unknown, good things could happen too. So between those two things, we could become more present more grateful grateful, and more powerful to create the life that we want moving forward. And while we started this conversation talking about post-pandemic stress, this is really the type of stress that we have, no matter what we experience, whatever type of situation or challenge we face, this is the way that we tend to behave. So your advice, while it is appropriate for post-pandemic, it really is appropriate for anything we're experiencing in life. Absolutely. Life is no more uncertain today than it's always been. We don't realize that because we wake up in the morning and we think that life is just like yesterday because it looks the same, but it's always different. It just seemed the same. So all along, every day was different. Everything is changing. Everything is always uncertain. So yes, this is a mindset for everyday living. It always has been and it always will be. Letting go of the past, finding a way to accept your present circumstances, finding a way to be grateful for what you have to look for the good and to know that uncertainty is your best friend because if you want your life to change, it has to happen in the unknown and not to be scared of what you don't know because we just forget that good things happen too. That if you don't know what's going to happen next, there's every reason to have hope. And I always say that uncertainty is a refuge of hope. That is where it lives. So life is always filled with new opportunities and new possibilities. So this is a recipe for living before the pandemic, during the pandemic, after the pandemic, and for anything else that could happen to us in our lifetime. Allison, I know you like to share exercises with us. Do you have something that we can do to help with acceptance, to help us stay in maybe? Yes. Well, the first thing that I love to do is what you just mentioned, and that's for the future, is the maybe practice. And I do it every day. And the first thing that we could do is we could ask ourselves in the moment when we feel so, so much despair and we're so worried that life can't get better and we're worried that our kids won't be okay and we're going to lose our job and we're going to lose our money, we ask ourselves our biggest fear. What is my biggest fear today? I'm afraid that my child won't find their way. I'm afraid that I could lose my job. I'm afraid that I won't be able to afford my life. And then you ask yourself, are you absolutely certain that fear is true? And the beauty of the unknown is you can't be sure that that fear is true, it's real, or it's going to happen. And that alone is a relief, that what I'm projecting might not be true. And what else is there? And for me, and for a lot of people I work with, we use this thing called the maybe practice. And all of a sudden, you start writing maybe statements. Maybe my worry about my child not true. Maybe they'll be okay. Maybe my job is okay. Maybe I'll get a new job. Maybe new things could happen. Maybe my thoughts are not true. And all you're doing is you're putting a question. You're putting a doubt on your biggest fear. And then you realize, wait a second, my fear might not be accurate. Maybe something better could happen. Maybe something else could happen. And all of a sudden, it sounds simple, but if you write maybe statements down for 10, 15 minutes, you're going to realize that the unknown has good things too. And just that alone opens your heart. It lessens your stress because you're sitting in the moment knowing that life can change and maybe for the better. That's the first thing. So all of a sudden, the future has hope again. And then when it comes to the past, there has to be a way in your mind that you could realize you cannot go back. 
It's almost sometimes you have to be militant about it. Sometimes there are exercises. Like I said, there are things like sometimes I think about like you can't change the results of uh, a sporting event. You can't change. Like I said, when it's raining out, you can't stop the rain. Sometimes in my mind, I think of things that cannot be changed. And I sit and I look at my past the same way. And if you could train your mind like that, you will become very present. You're not going to be worrying about the future because you know there's hope. And you realize that the past no longer exists. And then you come to the moment with hope for the future. And you come to the moment realizing what else, what's left for me in this moment. And when you start to think like that, you start to look at what's good. And then you start to look at what can I learn? What can I get out of this? What is still left for me to experience? And we start to look like that and we start to look at life like that. Appreciation comes in, gratitude comes in, and there we are. We have a platform for a new beginning. Every ending is a new beginning. And when we can see that and practice presence, life truly changes. Everybody listening to this this show right now has beauty in their lives. But it takes real presence to see it, and it takes real presence to enjoy it. And it takes real presence to use that beauty and to create something new. And everybody is capable of this. And I would like to encourage our listeners to get a copy of Allison's book, The Gift of Maybe, because in it, she really goes into great detail about how you can stay in maybe. And so, Allison, if our listeners would like to learn more about you and your work, where can they go? Well, I have a great website, AllisonCarmen.com. My podcast, which is free, which is 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, talks a lot about this, about letting go of the past, embracing uncertainty. So you could learn a lot on the podcast, which is on Apple and it's on Spotify. And my books, The Gift of Maybe and A Year Without Men, there's a lot of good stuff in those books if you're looking to live with less stress, less pain, and feel more more hope for the future. And once again, Allison's website is allisoncarmen.com. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Is your organization struggling with virtual team engagement? Do you know how to best help your employees leverage their natural abilities, whether they work on location or remote? Communication is the key. However, many businesses are challenged by lack of communication. Knowing your employee's preferred behavioral style helps to ensure the message is received as intended and creates a positive organizational culture. This can be accomplished with the use of behavioral assessments. These assessments are not like tests with a right or wrong answer. Rather, they are surveys or questionnaires frequently administered online to help understand motivations, explain behavioral preferences, communication styles, skills, and emotional intelligence. There are no shortcuts or ways to cheat, as can be done on a test. They offer deeper insight into your organization's most precious assets, your people. There are tools available in the marketplace that give a glimpse into the how, what, and why a person does what they do, removing blind spots for themselves and others, a path to revealing potential. If you would like to experience a complimentary assessment, reach out to me, Bertha Robinson, at 732 705-5060 705-5060 or visit my website at star1professional.com An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Contrary to the old adage, not all publicity is good publicity. Some can cause more harm than good. Hi, this is Joan Herman. As a public relations specialist, producer, and radio host who has conducted thousands of interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating, with listeners staying tuned in, or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, tips to be a successful sought-after radio and podcast guest, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. 
You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit my website, joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Research shows that eating with a plant slant and focusing on whole foods is key to a longer and healthier life. Today's guest nutritionist, Marissa Moore, joins us to discuss how to easily integrate a plant-forward diet into your life. Marissa is a registered dietitian nutritionist with a background in chronic disease prevention and culinary nutrition. She runs a popular food blog and has been featured in People Magazine, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, and on CNN and NBC Nightly News, among others. Marissa is the author of the book, The Plant Love Kitchen, An Easy Guide to Plant-Forward Eating with 75-plus Recipes. Welcome, Marissa. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. So, Marissa, from all the work that you've been doing, what are the biggest mistakes that most people make when choosing what to eat? Hmm. Probably, that's a really great question. I Some of the top things that I see is would be, I would say, maybe an obsession with perfection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, thinking that you have to eat perfectly in order to be healthy or um, that you have to make everything from scratch or fresh in order to get any nutrition or benefit from it. That's probably the biggest mistake because that causes a lot of stress. Um, that's unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm a huge proponent of frozen vegetables and canned ones are perfectly fine as well. But yeah, I would probably say that's the biggest thing, aiming for and thinking that things have to be perfect. Yeah, because that, like you said, it puts a lot of pressure on us. And I know I'm one of those people that the minute you break it, then you say to yourself, well, I ate one cookie, so I might as well eat the pack, you know, so we don't let ourselves stay on track. Yeah. So you talk about something that's called flexitarian, a flexitarian diet. What is that? So when you think about the flexibility of the plant-forward way of eating, it's really focused on putting more plants on your plate and giving you yourself the flexibility to enjoy meat if you'd like. Um, So that means that most days of the week, you're probably enjoying mostly vegetarian eating, um, but you know, on occasion or maybe when you go out to dinner or a few times a week at home or during your family's event, you are free to enjoy a burger or whatever it might be that you really like. Uh, so it gives you the flexibility to enjoy the foods that you love, but really your primary focus is on adding and, and eating plants regularly. So by eating more plant-based foods, we're, we're in essence crowding out some of the less healthy foods, but we can still allow ourselves to enjoy a favorite, like you said, a hamburger. Right. And it could, or it could be something as simple as, you know, my, I'm from the South and my family, typically we eat every time I go home, I always have collard greens and they're going to be made with some sort of meat. When I was vegan, then I would say, oh, I can't eat that. Right. But that's no longer the case. There's no, there's no reason not to, I can still enjoy the foods that my family makes and that I I enjoy um, without having to think twice about it. What should we be adding into our diet on a daily basis? Yeah, so that, I think that's a great question. And um, there's no one particular food that we should be adding, but I would say that making sure that you have some sort of produce at every meal is a great start. So when we think about breakfast in particular, I like to encourage people to add some sort of vegetable to their breakfast. There are savory quinoa bowls in the the cookbook as a way to add like some um, plants to 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 breakfast. There, uh, it could be as simple as adding spinach to an omelet or. You know, a variety of, or adding fruit to oatmeal. Those are simple ways that you can do it. But I would say making sure that you add produce to every meal is a great place to start uh, because I find that breakfast is often overlooked as a place where we can get that produce in. What do you believe are the biggest obstacles to getting people to incorporate a more plant-based diet? I think that so before pre-COVID, I did cooking demos pretty regularly. And what I found was that I would introduce new ideas 
And sometimes people would be a little skeptical until they try it. And often there's an idea that if it's healthy, it's not going to taste good. Um, but that's not necessarily the case. So looking at ways to make foods more flavorful is one thing that I really took time and care into this book. Um, there's in chapter three, I talk about techniques on how to make your plant foods taste better, like giving suggestions on seasonings as well as cooking techniques to do that. Uh, but that's definitely one of the big ones. And But also convenience. You mentioned cost, but cost and convenience can kind of go hand in hand. Um, often you know, it's, it's definitely easier to ride through a drive-thru to pick up a meal, right? But it takes time to plan a little bit about what you're going to eat, especially when it comes to adding more plants to the plate. But when I think about convenience and, and tied in with cost, I like to encourage people to think about how you can find healthy, convenient foods. So we're thinking frozen vegetables, having those in the freezer are perfect is a perfect way to add more of those to your plate because they're on hand. Having a, uh, Canned chickpeas in the pantry is an easy way for you to have that protein handy, to have um, that plant protein ready to go for a quick and easy dinner or a quick and easy salad topper as a way to add in some protein and fiber. So the two go hand in hand, and they're definitely those three things, I would say, are probably the top obstacles that, that people face. But they can be overcome with just a little bit of fine-tuning and thinking ahead. The book is The Plant Love Kitchen, an easy guide to plant-forward eating with 75-plus recipes. If you'd like to get more information about Marissa and her work, you can visit marissamore.com. Marissa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Joe. for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital articles, check out our team and book club, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow us on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications.